0: Welcome to Focus on Aging, the program by and for seniors and those soon-to-be seniors and persons with disabilities. We are presented by KFCR 90.7 FM, Independent Public Radio, Everett. We are Joan Bethel
1: and Pat Mahoney,
0: hosts for today's show. Our topic today is health care reform. There is probably nothing more important to seniors and disabled persons well-being, than accessible health care. To address this, we have two most knowledgeable guests, Dr. David McClanahan of Physicians for a National Health Program, who will explain the single-payer concept, and Mr. Robbie Stern, who is chair of the Health Care Coalition, who will oh. explain the public option. Uh, Dr. Ha- McClanahan was a surgeon with U.S. Public Health Service, which became pac For 25 years, he taught or lectured the intern and residency programs at University of Washington for another 25 years. He is founder of Physicians for a National Health Program in Washington State, as well as a board member of the national organization. And Mr. Stern has been an activist, mostly in labor, since coming to this state in 1966. He has been an attorney since 74 and one with his own rap sheet due to his activism. He is currently chair of the Healthcare Coalition and a board member of the Puget Sound Alliance for Retired Americans. Welcome both.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Uh, Dr. McClanahan, would you start by explaining a little bit about the single-payer option of health care reform?
2: Well, I'd be delighted to. Uh, There are three national uh, bills in Congress now that uh, are uh, single-payer national health insurance bills. There's Jim McDermott's, uh, HR 1200, John Conley's. I mean, uh, Conyers, H.R. 676, and Bernie Sanders just introduced S. 703 in the Senate. Basically, all of these uh, uh, proposals provide uh, continuous, lifelong, comprehensive, and high-quality care for everyone in the country from birth until death. There's uh, freedom of choice of providers versus freedom of choice of health insurance plans. Uh, There's one set of benefits for everybody, uh, for people in all walks of life. It's not a tiered uh, system such as we have now where the uh, people with less income end up in uh, Medicaid if they're lucky, and the uh, uh, more wealthy people have uh, much better benefits. So it's an equitable system. Uh, We no longer need uh, the insurance companies or corporate interests to – decide uh, who gets care and what kind of care. There's no middleman to siphon off uh, more than 30 percent of our health care dollars, which uh, now go to administrative costs, both for the insurance companies, the doctors and hospitals to keep track of all the uh, bandages and injections and so on. Uh, there's global budgets, so the hospitals know how much they're going to get each year and uh, are able to... Uh, Work out their uh, their budgeting to uh, accommodate the money they can they're getting. They don't have to keep track of every little single uh, uh, item cost know. or item. Right? <laughs> Thank you.
0: I remember so, when they had band aids and aspirin.
2: So it's a much simpler. Huge amount of money is saved. Uh, our estimate is that four hundred billion dollars can be saved. Uh, by going to the single-payer system, which would be enough to cover everybody uh, within the country uh, even, and and, uh, there would be no pays or, I mean, no uh, premiums or co-pays. And uh, basically, it's uh, the best system that we're fighting for.
0: Thank you. Um, Robbie, could you tell us a little bit about the public option and how it differs? Yeah, well, the public option
3: is not a pure single-payer system that David is talking about. The public option simply says that the reform would be giving people the choice between selecting a viable public plan or if they're happy with the private plan that they have now, they would be able to stay in that private plan. Uh, But it basically provides people the choice of deciding... uh, who they want to turn to for their, um, who will administer their health care coverage. Um, as some people see it, uh, in fact, Congressman McDermott spoke about this at the uh, annual meeting for the Physicians for a National Health Program. Uh, some people see creating a viable public option as an important intermediate step to perhaps ultimately getting to some kind of single-payer system. And the private insurance industry is ferociously opposed to it because they're fearful that they will not be able to compete with a public option. But many, many advocates, uh, there's very large coalitions, are fighting hard to make sure that in the reform package that is being debated in Congress as we speak, and and the expectation is that there will be an actual bill which will be introduced sometime around Memorial Day. Um, there is strong strong support in the Congress. Uh, the, progressive, the Democratic Progressive Caucus has said they will not support any, any uh, health care reform does, that does not provide a viable public option. Uh, Senator Baucus and uh, Senator Kennedy, as well as President Obama, have identified uh, the need for a public option. Uh, and uh, so it would give people the choice of whether they want to have uh, their program administered through the uh, uh, a public entity or whether they wanted to keep it going as it is.
1: Robbie, this is Pat Mahoney, uh, Jones' co-host. I was unclear when you mentioned uh, McDermott's comments at the uh, meeting for the Physicians for a National Health Program. What was his position? I'm not sure I was clear. Well,
3: you know, it's so complicated because... Uh, Senator, Senator, I mean, Rep- Representative McDermott has introduced H.R. 1200, as David mentioned. And he believes that that would be the best approach to health care reform. He also believes that as things line up politically at this point, that's not going to pass. And he very, very strongly argued one thing, uh, or several things. Number one, he said to single-payer folks, keep fighting for single-payer and number two, he said, but we have got to make sure in the health care reform that passes that we have a viable public option so that people have the choice of having a public program uh, if they want that. And uninsured people have the ability to go to a public program. So it's, it's, it's kind of coming at it with the understanding that what is politically possible at this point And he believes that the fight, and he said this explicitly, he believes that the fight for a viable public option, a real public option that people can choose, is one of the key battles that will be going on. And what we see is the emerging health care reform debate that uh, President Obama has spurred with both his commitment to health care reform in 2009 and his putting of $634 billion dollars, in his budget proposal for health care reform.
0: Robbie, how would that save any money, a public option?
3: Well, the, the, the thinking is that, number one, you can move towards administrative simplicity, and, in fact, the public option would be combined with a much, much higher regulatory scheme for private insurers as well. Uh, so as David said, and he's absolutely right, 30 cents of every dollar in our present health care system goes to administrative costs, but there are ways to attack that. And one of the ways to attack it is through administrative simplification so that the, the, uh, providers offices do not have to have, you know, two to three people, uh, doing, doing the administrative work for every single provider that's in the office. Um, you can, you can also do that by having uh, such a strong market that is having um, – there's power in being able to purchase for a large group. There's a lot of power. You have a lot of control over the market. It's economies of scale. And so by having very, very large plans, you're in a much better negotiating position to go negotiate for reasonable rates. Now, there's no question, you know, that you have even more administrative simplification and more control under uh, the single-payer system, whether it's a single-payer system like Canada or a single-payer system like France, which, I, you know, France has the government purchasing the health care through private insurers, but they have great regulatory control. Um, I think that, but, and we're not going to get the degree of administrative savings that we would in having a totally unified system.
1: Robbie, I'm going to interrupt just for a moment. We need a quick station break here, and then I would like uh, David to comment on on some of your uh, issues. Okay. So let me remind our listeners that you are listening to KSER 90.7 FM, Independent Public Radio, Everett. We are Pat Mahoney and
0: Joan Bethel, and
1: we're talking to Dr. David McClanahan about single-payer health care reform and also Mr. Robbie Stern, who will tell us and is telling us about the uh, public concept. David, your turn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, uh, PNHP has uh, two basic problems with the, the uh, hybrid or the public option and private system trying to coexist. Uh, the massive savings uh, from bureaucracy can, can't be achieved in the hybrid system. There may be some savings uh, in the administration of the public plan, but it's still operating in a, a system with multiple other plans. So uh, doctors, uh, the calculation has been, as I mentioned overall, that $400 billion can be saved. And of that, uh, I think uh, the insurance companies uh, being eliminated would account for $131 billion but uh, and uh, also, the savings would for the hospitals would be one hundred and twenty billion on eliminating many of their administrative costs, and also the private doctors would save ninety five billion and uh, Our researchers uh, have calculated that with a public option and cons- trying to coexist with the uh, private multiple payers that the particularly the physicians in the hospitals would still have to keep most of their administrative staff to account for all the expenditures and uh the calculation is that even if 50% of american citizens chose to go into a public plan that the savings would only be about 15% of the savings that could be achieved under single payer so we feel that the This kind of hybrid plan would not be sustainable. It would not be able to cover everybody and uh, eliminate the underinsurance that uh, is so plaguing our system today.
1: Okay, thank you. Uh, I think most of us are uh, old enough to remember, I certainly am, another Democratic administration, uh, President Clinton, and uh, his wife, Hillary, who headed up a similar effort in, I think, a Democratic-controlled Congress, both House and Senate, some years ago, uh, aiming towards a similar option that uh, both of you were talking about, something very different than what we then had and now have, and that, as we all know, did not go very far. Can both of you comment on why you think the political situation is different enough now so that we will have a better opportunity to really make some changes here? And, Robbie, let me ask you first to comment on that, if I could, please.
3: Well I, I think there there are a number of reasons why. Number one is because the cost of health care has um, played an incredible uh, incredibly important role in the present economic crisis that we're in. So we have to resolve our health care the the problem with our health care system and particularly you know the problem of the uninsured and the cost shifting that happens as a result of that but also, a whole variety of issues related to cost and the uh, adverse incentives that exist in the system if we hope to get our arms around uh, this economic crisis we're in. So that is one thing that President Obama has identified very clearly in all of his discussions about this. The and second reason why is because in the past and for example in 1993 You did not have the unified position on the part of the leadership of the Democratic caucuses in the House and the Senate that you do today. So, for example, in the Senate today, the two committees of jurisdiction are the Finance Committee and the Health Care Committee. One is chaired by Senator Max Baucus and the other is chaired by Senator Kennedy. They are in total unity on the necessity of passing a health care reform bill And for Senator Kennedy, it's really become a legacy bill. In 1993, there was a disagreement between the two chairs with uh, Senator Moynihan not being supportive of health care reform. The same thing is true in the House. There are three committees of jurisdiction in the House, and all three House chairs are in agreement that they must address the issue of health care reform this year. That unity did not exist in the House in, uh, in 1993 either. So what we're seeing is we're seeing um, the impact of health care on the economy having such a, del- a deleterious f- impact that they really must act in order to deal with the larger economic crisis.
1: David, uh, your comments. Well, I
2: think the problem that was existing in 1993 still exists today. Even though everyone agrees that something has to be done, in 1993 the whole the system failed or the plan failed because it was massive in that it tried to accommodate the uh, corporate insurance industry, uh, drug, uh, and so on. We're having the same thing happen today, unfortunately. Even though. Uh, Every, all the politicians say something must be done. They're still trying to base a system on the private insurance industry. And we feel the private insurance industry is moribund. It can't sell policies that are affordable to the middle class. So the only way that they can keep going is by having a mandate, which they said they would agree to, quote, compromise on. But unfortunately, this mandate looks like it would be taking our tax dollars and Uh, giving them to uh, poor uh, people who can't afford their product to subsidize them to buy, again, private insurance uh, products. Or public,
3: David.
2: Well, that's a question, uh, you know, as you you alluded to or said, the the question is, is there going to be a public option and what's it going to look like? If you look at uh, Senator... uh, uh, Grassley, who is in uh, Max Baucus's, he's the co-chair of that committee. No, he's He's, a minority leader. Well, okay, minority leader. And uh, Baucus says that what comes out of his committee will be bipartisan. So Baucus says that there's no way any sort of a public option is going to be coming out of that committee. And uh, the insurance industry is testifying I mean they 're saying that too. they say they 're going to compromise, but, as I said, the compromise is going to be to uh, mandate everybody to have insurance and allow and who knows what the public option is going to look like you know we 'll definitely take a look at it if and when it comes out of there, but the noise from uh, Washington is that the compromises they 're talking about are going to be unacceptable
0: well uh, there
3: 's one other thing that I want to mention, and this is very important. Just last week, the Senate and House Democrats voted to um, uh, institute a procedure uh, that will allow them to pass this bill uh, with a 50-vote majority and to bypass the 60-vote rule in the Senate. Um, So that was a very, very important decision, and what it basically established was that if um, there is not bipartisan agreement by October 15th, then they can pass the bill in the Senate and the House with just a majority vote.
1: Um, it's interesting, Robbie, you mentioned that. Today's Wall Street Journal, you may have seen the article uh, from uh, John Sununu, a name we remember. Yes. Uh, and the title of the article is National Health Care with 51 Votes. Ramming a bill through Congress is not in the public interest. Uh, so there's a lot of controversy uh, is, is are we going to have uh, not unanimity. There's no doubt we're not going to get that on this important issue. But uh, it sounds like the Republicans are not at all going to be happy with uh, a 51-vote uh, national health care program and, and uh, probably going to make some hay out of that. I, I want to switch the subject just a minute or two. Uh, having worked with physicians and unions for most of my professional career, I, I found that in many cases – it was difficult to have physicians agree on much of anything. So I'd like David to comment on our, how united are physicians in this country with the position that you comment on. And, and then, Robbie, if you'd comment, uh, I know your background is with unions. Are the unions very united uh, likewise on your the position that you are talking about? David, would you like to go first?
2: Well, uh, the AMA purports to speak for uh, American physicians, but only about 20% of American physicians, uh, you know, uh, belong to the AMA. There was a very important study done last summer that was a, a peer review in a major peer-reviewed journal, the Journal of the Annals of Internal Medicine, which uh, randomly took names from the uh, AMA master file of physicians from across the country. They sent uh, questionnaires to 5,000 doctors about uh, what sort of uh, reform that they would be willing to, you know, to back. And 59% of physicians said that they were willing to back a single-payer system uh, run, uh, set up by the government and... Uh, you know, basically the uh, HR six seven six twelve hundred that we've been talking about. So okay, that's 59%. I, uh, we
0: have to cut you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> we haven't <laughs> and, and we have a, a short uh, uh, station break, and then we're going to be talking to Dr. Shirley Houck, who's... Uh,
2: i just like to make one comment, and I think uh, that's that Robbie Stern is uh, probably the most important person uh, person in Washington State as far as uh, pushing us down the road to what, where we need to be.
1: Robbie, if you could uh, about a 30-second comment on the unions uh, t- being together or not on this issue. I think we have time for that. Yeah, I, I,
3: there there is a very strong coalition called HCAN, Healthcare for America Now, which all of the unions are, most of uh, the vast majority of unions are a part of, including the AFL-CIO and the Change to Win union. They're all uh, united, and supporting health care reform, Uh, many of the unions would, you know, would, if given the option, support a single-payer system. But they believe at this moment that we have to take what we can get, and they are fighting for a uh, viable public option, and I would say unions are united on that.
0: Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Robbie. Um, You are listening to KSER 90.7 FM, Independent Public Radio in Everett. We are Pat Mahoney and Joan Bethel, and we're talking to Dr. David McClanahan about single-payer health reform and Mr. Robbie Stern about the public plan. We uh, will now be talking to Dr. Shirley Houck about scams of the month, fraud of the month, and it's... Thank you both, Dr. McClanahan and Robbie, for being here.
3: So do thank you want you. us to stay or are we to
2: go now? <laughs>
0: we, <laughs> I wish we had more time, but we don't. Okay, well, thank you for having me. You're we'll welcome.
2: welcome. We'll pick it up down the road, I'm sure.
4: Oh, yeah. We'd love to have you back. <laughs> Thanks both of you. bye
0: Starting this month as a short feature of our Focus on Aging program, we will be presenting Dr. Shirley Halk, the Crane Victims Assistant Specialist from Senior Services of Snohomish, presenting the Fraud of the Month. Welcome, Shirley.
4: Thank you very much, Joan.
0: What's, what's the big fraud this month?
4: Well, we're thinking that because the economic stimulus checks are going out to people who receive social security or supplemental security income payments or veterans payments or railroad retirement payments that there'll be some frauds around that that check is going to be a two hundred and fifty dollar one-time payment to people who qualify under the provisions that i just mentioned and uh... no action is really required to do that these are some of the facts around the whole thing but you know there's going to be people calling about it and telling people that they need to do all kinds of strange things like uh... requesting their personal information so they can process the stimulus check that would be one i would expect for instance someone might call and. Request your bank account number so that they can deposit your check for you. But Social Security already has that if you have a direct deposit uh, system for your Social Security or your SSI or VA check. So they'll automatically deposit it. You'll receive it the same way you receive your Social Security or Veterans check. You don't need to do anything or give anybody information, but if they have your information, then they can use it against you and try to access your bank account and take the money out before it even gets there, you know? Um, sometimes uh, people might, or we think that they might uh, call and say, uh, well, uh, I'll offer to get you this in, this money quicker. I can get it to you quicker if you cooperate with me in some way or send me some money so that I can do this for you. Uh, Someone might say, oh, you need a different social security number to receive this check. This all comes under a different number. What's your social security number so I can make the change for you? And they all sound so believable, you know. It's just so easy to fool people because they sound just like they're your friend and they're going to help you out. Uh, sometimes they'll say, oh, I need your Social Security number or your bank account number to verify that you should receive that check. Well, Social Security will do that automatically. They don't need any extra help that way. Uh, some people might be on the net, you know, and um, then they might get an offer by email to say, oh, uh, in order to access your check, you need to click on this link. So then of course, uh, you'll probably click, if you click on that link, then you'll probably get loaded up with some spyware on your computer, and that won't be any good for you. And, uh, people don't need to call anybody, but they can, if they don't receive their check by June 4th, they can call a certain 800 number, and to get that information, they could call Senior Information and Assistance.
0: And that number is?
4: Uh, that number is 425. and they'll tell them which 800 number they need to call if they didn't get their check by June 4th. And the deal is, if they don't, if they call early, they're likely to mess the whole thing up and it'll take longer. So, you know, kind of uh, take a deep breath and wait till you see either the record in your bank account, if you get direct deposit or your check in the mail before uh, calling to find out about it?
0: Well, the answer to it is when they start prying, hang up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> or
4: another part of it could be to um, get the name and phone number of the person who is trying to pry and then give senior information and assistance a call. And they'll send you over to the Victims of Crime Assistance Program and we can report those numbers. And then possibly something could be done to um, stop these people in the future.
1: That was Shirley Hawk, and we plan to have her with us each month discussing the latest fraud or scam being offered in Snohomish County.
0: You've been listening to Focus on Aging. I'm Joan Bethel.
1: And I'm Pat Mahoney.
0: We've been talking health care reform with our guests. Focus on Aging is heard at 6 p.m. on the fourth Monday of every month. And thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back again next month.